0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. He should be commemorated, and rightly so. He Mm. was a a rare, multi-talented artist, right? I mean, composing, directing, acting, singing, and the entire package, essentially, was embodied in him. And that, I think, makes him rare, even when you compare it to Hollywood artists, right? Not many Mm. can claim that sort of you know variety of talents and demonstrate it consistently year after year you know throughout the careers you know
1: yeah i mean he's been compared to uh, charlie chaplin i suppose but we never coward. heard charlie chaplin sing oh yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> or play the saxophone yeah.
0: well he didn't play the saxophone in *Bumotoku*, but yeah. still i mean we know that he was a singer and he was a multi-instrumentalist yeah. you know? but, but go on anyway but no no so i'm just saying yeah.
1: <laughs> but, yeah there's just very few yeah. of these i, I mean, take sa- that charlie sa- chaplin uh, but yeah
0: Hi, I'm Ahmad Fuad Rahman. You're listening to Night School, the show that explores theory, culture, and society. Joining us this week is Jonathan Driscoll. You are a senior lecturer at Monash University. You teach media studies, film studies, among other things. Welcome to the show.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: And we are going to talk about stardom of P. Ramli.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I, I just want to perhaps contextualise how you've come to be interested in P. Ramli to the point of dedicating your academic career to it. So tell us about how it all began.
1: Okay, so I moved to Malaysia seven years ago. Before that, I was doing research, looking primarily at French cinema, actually. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was doing studying in the UK. I wrote my PhD thesis on French stardom in the 1930s. Um, upon completion of that, I uh, you know, was looking for academic jobs, and I, I moved to Malaysia, and when I moved here, I suppose I was quite keen to, to some extent, to change my research a bit, mm-hmm. to shift my focus so that I could make the most of being in Malaysia and, right, and learn right. more about Malaysia. But I also wanted to continue certain parts of my previous research as well. So I was looking at 1930s French film stars, mm-hmm. as I mentioned. So I guess I was interested in film history, mm-hmm. so looking at films from you know the past decades and what right. they can tell right. us about society, but then also, looking at stardom as well so that's kind of one of my main sort of research yeah. interests Yeah. so p ramley is kind of, of an course. ideal <laughs> candidate yeah. for this yeah. kind of thing
0: But well, what does that mean though stardom because you know a lot of different things come to mind right He could just he could be a historical icon uh in a lot of ways is he still a star right today so nuance that term a bit for us
1: the idea of studying stars from a academic point of view can seem perhaps a bit unusual because I, I suppose stars are often seen as part of a, a more kind of the the sort of frivolous side of life, the less serious side of life, right, whereas right. academia, of course, is something that's considered to be quite serious. The idea of looking at film stars from an academic point of view, though, would be to try to understand the, I mean, all kinds of things, really, how, how stars might contribute to the film industry. They're mm-hmm. obviously a big part of the business of cinema, so right. someone like P. Ramley, of course, his stardom was central to the success of the Shaw brothers, mm-hmm. um, you know, who he, who he worked for. There's also the idea about what stars bring to the films that they appear in. So if you want to know what a film really means, you know, it, what it's really all about, you should really take into account the contribution of the star, because through their performance, through the extra meanings that we associate with that star, uh, you know, what they bring to the film, they'll play a big role in shaping our understanding of what a film is. Yeah. And then another, perhaps maybe the most important part as well, is that stars are also can be very revealing about the society that they come from. So stars will often encapsulate particular values or ideologies that are significant at particular points in time. And to some extent, you can say that the very popularity of a star is in in many respects also just the popularity of the values and ideologies Mm -hmm. that they embody. So if you can understand what those are, then you can find out something about the society they come from, particular historical period.
0: Yeah. So. I'm wondering, though, the extent to which the star, so to speak, is a historical statement as well, because you need a public sphere established to an extent. Mm, you know, yeah. you need a media to have been robustly rooted in a culture, right? There must be a sense that we, you know, an identity is formed through sharing the same media. So, how much of this is a modern phenomenon? Can we think of it as? Ah, can okay. we think of pre-modern stars? Or
1: okay, so yeah, I guess another important aspect of stardom is that is, is like you say it's not they're not just products of films stars are I mean the way that this is this is defined by the academic uh, Richard Dyer who's mm-hmm. kind of the the pioneer of of what has become known as star studies is he sees stars as intertextual constructs so what this means is that they are made up of not just the film appearances but stars are actually constructed through all of the extra filmic materials that they appear in as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. So that would be things like obviously they're written about in newspapers in magazines they may make some public appearances and so in the case of p ramley if we look at his stardom from the period of his fame say the 1950s and 1960s he is very present in these different media Mm -hmm. so of course he's in plenty of films during that period but he's also discussed a lot in the, the newspapers and in fan magazines as well. And one of the main things that I've looked at is actually some of these fan magazines mm-hmm. such as one called Majala Film mm-hmm. which was the magazine that was produced by the Shaw brothers partly just as a as a t- kind of film magazine for people who are just interested in the cinema but also very much as a a promotional a piece of promotional material to, to right. promote their films and and stars like Pierre Emily.
0: Yeah. How many stars were there at that time because we only can think of maybe a handful today looking uh, back right yeah. but what tell us a little bit about the star culture he was in
1: yeah i mean that's one of the interesting things with p Ramley is that yeah like you say he if you, if i ask my students about who were the stars of the golden age in malay cinema then p Ramley would be the one they'd mention and, and the only probably perhaps yeah i can't remember too many others being mentioned but and so it has been seen that he's kind of eclipsed many of these stars. I mean, to some extent, he was very much the biggest star of the period. If mm-hmm. you look at all these fan magazines, he is still the one who is discussed the most. And and that sometimes they'll have these sort of double page spreads featuring lots of different stars from the Shaw Brothers. Right. And right. he's usually at the center. So he is the biggest star. But actually, yeah, there are lots of stars and there are lots of. Articles discussing these and their, you know, um, their films and right, their private right. lives and mm-hmm. all these sorts of things. So yeah, there would be plenty mm-hmm. of really so There was already
0: the Pop culture established and he rose in that context. So he wasn't really filling a vacuum. He actually Established himself among other peers. Oh, yeah, right, yeah,
1: right? absolutely. I mean there were other stars before him who were who were the really big stars like Esru Minor was mm-hmm, like perhaps mm-hmm. one of the first ones and uh, support Sarawak right, uh, right. but then you know he came along and kind of took centre stage yeah. Really, what
0: makes him so enduring why is the appeal so timeless
1: um, well I guess there's a, a number of things that would spring to mind I mean partly the some of his films they do just deal with quite universal kind of timeless themes in a way uh, it's quite Quite simple. Um, he, sometimes the characters you would play, the, I mean, I don't want to say they're quite simple, but there is a kind of um, a kind of simple everyday character, yeah. everyday man kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that that kind of quality that I suppose is is quite an endearing character that he'd play, and and I think people still respond well to that. But, but I mean, in terms of his popularity, it's actually quite interesting to look at the period after his death in 1973, to look at how he was discussed in the press in the years Mm -hmm, after that up mm -hmm. till the present day. Because the first decade actually there wasn't a huge amount written about P. Ramley in the press. He was becoming a bit of a forgotten figure. And it was actually about 10 years after his death in 1983, where there was a P. Ramley week organized as a way of um, trying to renew interest in him as a star. Right. And it's really from that point onwards that he becomes more and more popular mm-hmm. in Malaysian society.
0: Why that year? Um, cause I'm, I'm thinking about the National Cultural Congress that just happened mm. and there was this need to rediscover Malay identity in the arts. And Was that part of the drive or was it just, it just so happened that they needed uh, an icon f- for that year or something? Because I, I'm trying to figure out what is it that's kept us hooked? Decade after decade, you know?
1: Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, I guess the reason for that year was it was the 10 year anniversary of his death. So that would be, that would be, but I think partly what you're saying may, you know, may also be relevant to this because I think in many respects his identity, he does become more of like a sort of, Symbol of Malaysia in a way, he becomes mm-hmm. a Malaysian star. in In his early days as a star, he was a star of the Malay cinema right, in many right. respects. But over the years, he becomes more of a Malaysian icon. And when you see the articles of him in in newspapers, often he is with a, a Malaysian flag behind right. him. I've seen a, a number of right, cases yeah, of I, that. I, that comes to mind too. Yeah, um, and so yeah, I, I think there is perhaps an attempt to establish a, a particular kind of cultural heritage, and and P Ramlee at the centre of that. You know, he he's obviously. Yeah, got a, had a lot of accomplishments, a lot of talent. Of course, and, of course,
0: and um, and I mean, he should be commemorated and rightly so. He mm. was a, a rare, multi-talented artist, right? I mean, yeah, composing, yeah. directing, acting, singing, and all, the entire package essentially yeah, was embodied yeah. in him. And that I think makes him rare, even when you compare it to Hollywood artists, right? Not many mm. can claim that sort of you know variety of talents and demonstrate it consistently year after year you know throughout the careers you know
1: yeah i mean he's been compared to uh charlie chaplin i suppose but we never coward. heard charlie chaplin sing oh yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> or play the saxophone yeah.
0: well he didn't play the saxophone in but yeah. still i mean we know that he was a singer and he was a multi-instrumentalist yeah you know? but, but go on anyway But no no so i'm just saying yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah there's just very few of yeah. these I, I mean take so, that charlie so, chaplin uh, but yeah yeah, there's very few um, who've been. Yeah, had that kind of variety. Yeah, I that, mean that James sort of Dean. I mean, what was
0: what was his? I mean, he, to me, he's a very static actor. Mm. You know, and he just fit the zeitgeist of the time, right? That yeah, sort of brooding coming of age, Holden Caulfield, sort of like alienation yeah, of youth, yeah. and you know, you think about Humphrey Bogart too, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just him. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> (laughs) doing what he does.
1: (laughs) I think a big part of Peter Ramney's appeal in the 50s and 60s, I mean, partly obviously it was to do with his talent, but I think it was partly that he also embodied the zeitgeist of the time. These were changing times and he was a figure who was able to represent that change in a way that would be exciting, but also comforting as well in a way because, of course, change can be scary. So he was able to kind of reconcile. That's a very interesting point.
0: I I like that point because that made me compare in my mind Say what the character who will play in say, you know, uh, anakusazali the father, yeah, especially yeah. the father stage when when the older stage when you know when there was the father and son tension was more developed and you really see him transform from the early part of the film. Yes. But then you compare something he you know he would do say in Labulabi where it's just almost mm. clownish, right? Yeah, so, that sort of range is really impressive.
1: Oh yeah. So I mean if you think about the different kind of ways in which he represents, a masculinity, the different kind of male types that he embodies, there is really quite a lot of brain. So like you say, I mean, you could look at one extreme, there's the heroic type. So mm-hmm. he played roles like Hang Toa or Sergeant Hassan. These are quite conventional ideas of masculinity where he's basically the hero. Right, right. Um, and then you'd have the other kinds of films where he's a romantic character as well. The, like, for example, Antara Duadaja. Right, right. Some of that, Ibu um, Matwaku. Then you also would have, like you say, the, I'm not sure the word used for Labud and- Labud Clownish. Yeah, the clownish, but this this the word, of, yeah, really, yeah. You have that as well. And then you also have the, the times where his characters are really, um, experiencing some kind of extreme despair as well, yeah. uh, resignation, this real uh, fa- fatalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- there'd be that, or, or even, I mean, with Tuaku. There's a, a scene where he, uh, the middle part of the film, where he's he thinks his wife has died, yeah. and yeah. then the grief is so extreme that he cries so much that he actually goes blind. And he didn't the, pay rent. Yes, he didn't evict, <laughs> evict him. But gets uh, evicted, yeah. Can,
0: can you tell us a little bit about the lack of genre? I mean, in a sense, we look back and we use these terms quite conveniently to describe the overall plot, maybe, right? Tragedy, comedy, heroism. Um, but there are a lot of plays with registers. So, Labu Labi, suddenly at the end, you know, when they're dreaming, they get into these mm, deep, mm. indulgent dream states, right? And they become... Enemies, and then there's a fight scene, and it's such a different change of tone from the buffoonish stuff in the beginning, right? Or you think about Ibomurtuku, it starts with comedy and ends with tragedy, and there's so many other examples, they're not coming to me right now. But the way in which you can still tell the same story, maybe there's a South Asian influence here, but Mm. even then, I feel that there's a certain eloquence to how the volume shifts right in terms of the intensity of the emotions right throughout these films where comedy slides to tragedy tragedy slides into kind of mystery and then everything just sort of gets resolved in the end you know and yeah. it's, it's a delicate process it seems like so what, what does genre mean at that time right was there a really like because the market wasn't that selective to begin with either right so i mm-hmm. guess maybe they had a different way in which we they think about structuring stories or structuring form you know
1: yeah, I, I mean, I suppose that when this is discussed, it's often there's a few main genres referred to in, in terms of the being the dramas, the you know um, melodramas. There's comedies, the historical films, and then horror films. But I think, as you say, it's often a bit more complex than that. And there's quite a bit of... Um, play and variety, you know, shifting between genres. So, I th- yeah, the examples you give, yeah, that struck me as well, watching like Ibu Matwaku, the mm-hmm. way it starts off as a comedy. But, um, yeah, yeah turns into a drama, and turns into a very tragic uh, yeah. uh, kind of drama towards the end.
0: Yeah, and the songs would narrate that yeah, too, right? There's yeah. a certain optimism yeah. in the early songs, and there's a fatalism at the end, and it's yeah. quite masterful, mm. right? Uh, we think it for granted because it's always replayed and we think it's just yeah. part of the the background of our consumption, right? But when mm. you think about the sort of craft that it required yeah. Yeah. to p- yeah. really plan these narratives, it, it's, it's really mind-blowing. Let's take a break right now. We'll okay. come back after, and uh, we can talk more about the stardom of P. Ramli. I'm Ahmad Fouart Rahmat, joined by Jonathan Driscoll, Senior Lecturer at Monash University, and you're listening to Night School on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to me, Ahmad Fat Rahmat, talking about the stardom of Piramli with Jonathan Driscoll from Monash University. He is a senior lecturer there in film studies and media studies, among other things. Now, in the first part of the show, we talked about Piramli's legacy in a lot of ways, what he represented and how he was unique uh, in terms of what we think of stardom. I do want to start our second part of the discussion with regards to the forgetting, there was a period when it seemed like the country had taken him for granted and, well, or so the narrative goes, perhaps mm. you can correct this. But apparently there was a lull in recognizing, acknowledging his his legacy. Yeah. And then it was, like you said, later picked on. And then it was, I guess, as the nation remembered him again, he was then, his memory rather was then revived and celebrated and hasn't really changed since, right? We've kept yeah. on affirming his contribution like from then on, right? I heard he was dejected because, you know, rock and roll came oh, and he was yeah. sort of passé by that time.
1: Uh, yeah, so I guess it really coincides pretty much with when he moved from Singapore to Kuala Lumpur to, to make films. I mean, that's seen as the the beginning of kind of decline mm-hmm. in some respect. I mean, partly it's seen as a decline in terms of the technical quality of his film, so it was, the argument is that the equipment that was used uh, uh, at Studios in Kuala Lumpur right. didn't match that, which was used the Shaw Brothers uh, Malay Film Production mm-hmm. Studios in Singapore, so that was partly what it was. Um, partly, there is also the idea as well that his um, his talents, you know, that he, w- he was not making the, the same number of hits Uh, so there's a a shift in that as well but I think it's also, yeah, there's social, cultural changes as well, sort of new fashions, new trends, so there's the rise of different kinds of music, referred to as pop yeah yeah so Mm -hmm. the kind of Beatlemania, Mm -hmm. I suppose going all over the world and the I suppose he uh, doesn't really at this point represent um, or doesn't embody the the zeitgeist as we we were Mm -hmm. discussing Mm -hmm. before. He doesn't really embody it in quite the same way as he did before. And in that respect, this is also part of that kind of decline during the 1960s. Yeah. What do you think resonates
0: still today? Because you talk about a very distinct time in the period of Malaysian-Asian building. Mm. And then you also talk about shifting trends, and you talked yeah. about the sort of waxing and waning of his legacy, right? But yeah, yeah. today, when I watch a P Ramli movie, it feels like a foreign country or something, right? right? It doesn't. Yeah. Ra- I mean, you had the NEP, uh, you had yeah. the emergence of Malay middle class, and a lot of the lifestyles that he portrayed. I don't know. It's necessarily common knowledge for the average Malaysian, mm. especially Malaysian consumer of culture, right? Yeah. Um, so, do you still feel that this is going to go on, or do you sense that at some point we might have to rediscover different icons to sort the of changes? What's your sense of his continued resonance?
1: Well, I mean, that's interesting what you say about it feels like a, a foreign country, uh, you know, looking back at his older, older films. I mean, I suppose there is a way in which those films have been seen as, uh, and, and P. Ramley himself as representing certain. A certain kind of liberal qualities that perhaps are, uh, yeah, a, a kind of less in evidence in in certain respects. I mean, P. Ramley was somebody who. I mean, I, I was reading articles, for example, on uh, after his divorce with his second wife Nora Zan, and she was. Complaining about various things to do with him, it's it's actually quite interesting because she actually just basically went to the press uh, right. after the divorce, so she was very kind of public about you know what happened between them, and she was complaining about him working too hard, so that, you know being a workaholic, but also that he'd go to parties and things like this. Right. So for some people, he does sort of represent that kind of thing as well—a certain sort of uh, like going to cabarets, it's Like veiled debauchery.
0: Yeah, I mean, not veiled, but just yes yeah, Then so, I guess it was not unusual. Yeah. yeah. Yeah and and not so, stigmatized yet, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so you can see some of that in in the films. I mean if you're looking for it and you, you can also in, in some of the other extra film materials I was referring to as well. I mean if you if you look through the uh, I mentioned the film fan magazines, if you look through those, it, it also there can also be that similar kind of feeling mm-hmm. of this being, you know, a really quite a different place. Right, right. Tell us a little bit about his masculinity because he played
0: heroes, national mm-hmm. heroes, Sang Tua, he played Sajan Hassan, right? Yeah. Uh and he did that at a time when the nation was just finding itself. They needed heroes. So I think there's a yeah. resonance there. But when you think of somebody like John Wayne, for example, yeah. you think about Humphrey Boga even, these are heroes of conquest. They represented mm. certain moments in, in the Empire Building Project in the oh, West. Right, yeah. Whereas we just didn't have that, right? So mm. the heroism feels a little different in that sense. Both are heroes, but of a different turn in the nation-building project, right, where yeah. w- this was the part of the world that had been quote-unquote decolonized, whereas John Wayne, for example, was harking to a time when, you know, cowboys were hunting down Indians, right? So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that. Maybe it's a bit of a, you know, tangential uh, comparison, but when we talk about masculinity, there's a certain universal form that we think mm. to. So, But he seems, uh, Pete Ramlees' sort of masculinity is a bit different, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think. That the, I mean, this is one of the things that I think is really most interesting about his stardom is precisely the masculinity that he that he embodies. Because on the one hand, yeah, you do have these roles like Hang Tua and Sajid Hassan, but you also get in many cases films where it's actually the female character who. Um, ends up being the one who saves him mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. so you often get I mean there's often the the convention in cinema all over the world of like the damsel in distress yeah. Yeah. I mean sometimes he ends up being the one who, who gets rescued an example of this would be Antara Dua mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the end he's in a fight and then the Saadia character ends up saving him another one is quite an interesting example is from Musan Bajangu, where at the end of that film, it's, it's quite complicated to explain the specifics of this scene, but basically he, he gets a a wife, which played, uh, his wife is played by Saadia, and they return to the village that he's from. And when they return, many of the older members mm-hmm. of the village start lusting after her. Mm-hmm. So they decide to play a trick on them. And most of this is initiated by the Saadia character. And so he, he actually goes a bit into the background during mm-hmm. this part. And it, it culminates with the Saadia tricking the head of this village to basically sit on her back and, and ride around the room um, pretending that- Right, uh, right. Sorry, he, sh- she sits on his back and he's, he oh. goes around the room so it's like uh, like like he's a horse or something. So there's this way in which uh the younger female character in this P. Ramley film kind of gets one over on the older male yeah, character. Yeah. He tends to be the object in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Even in Ibu Murtuoku he was
0: the object that was yeah, played by the yeah. women. Um yeah. there's a and I'm not I'm not sure, maybe you can correct me on this. There was a scene a, a quick moment in is it cinema Bujang Lapok where he's broke, like the house burned down or something, but then the women's like, don't worry, I'll, I'll support you. Ah, is, right. that, is that yeah. cinema? Yeah, yeah, yeah that which, kind of which, you know, when you think about the standards of world cinema and the mm. sort of hegemony and the, yeah. of the apparatus or yeah. something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. When we think that because the apparatus seduces our gaze, therefore mm. it's feminine or something like mm. that, that doesn't quite match in the Malay case when the subject-object dynamic isn't that clear-cut, it feels to me.
1: Yeah, I I think there's yeah, a lot that yeah, that's another way you can look at it through the in terms of the, the object of the gaze in a way that P. Ramley is often put in that position. In you know, in lots of different films, I suppose, you know, the the way that he's been filmed by the camera is to kind of present him as uh yeah, this um object to be to be looked at this yeah, kind of yeah. yeah. I mean, so, so, I mean, he's the subject, but he's also kind of presented as yeah, the object yeah. of the games.
0: And he's not muscular and is very, there's a surface, mm. there's a kind of like neat surface quality to his glow. You have typically sentimental guy, playful in the beginning, well, yeah. really hurt after heartbreak. And then it's just shocked at how the world isn't accommodating his masculinity in, in a lot of mm. ways. You know, sometimes yeah. you get that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So uh, what, what is that down to, though? So, well, I guess, um, yeah, lots of possible reasons. I mean, one I guess one of the interesting things is there's discussion actually of the influence of certain stories from India, actually, Indian culture that worked their way into the Malay cinema. So this is one of the arguments by sort of, William Van der Hyde, where he discusses stories um, that were because you have to remember, a lot of the early Malay filmmakers in Malay cinema, the, the directors, a lot of them were from the um, Bombay film industry. And a lot of the stories were made were actually adaptations of films that had been popular there. So certain archetypes came out of that. You know, one of them was this kind of masculinity. So, it's, so to some extent, that was already part of the cinema, I suppose, before P. Ramley. I suppose there's also uh, other influences w- as well. So we can see in his st- his stardom a kind of tension between kind of traditional values, but yeah. also these kind of modern cosmopolitan values as well. So that's kind of also bringing influences, shaping the kinds of masculinity. So you have lots of different, his idea of gender being kind of constructed from lots of different directions, I yeah. suppose.
0: But it's also a mockery of the Western archetype too, right? So in Labun Labi, he goes to the cabaret and mm. there, speaking Malayan is very exaggerated English cadence, yeah. right? And then, Abla uh, Bulabi again, is the same movie, which is why I like it. It's sort of a critique of that culture, like yeah. the, the cowboy scene, yeah. you know, and he orders a drink, like, what do you want? Uh, I have milk. Right. You know, cowboys yeah. <laughs> don't drink milk, right? It's, it's parodying those archetypes, right? in a sense, well, I get what you mean, that, you know, there's a lot of borrowing from South Asia, but I mm. also felt that, in those moments, it's a statement to say that, the Western masculine hero isn't that compelling for them. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, I mean, you've seen this more times than <laughs> I have, but that's just my sense that, why didn't he just become another James Dean when he could have, right? Maybe that that sort of angst hadn't defined her, the sort of historical period as much, you know? So I don't know, but because I feel that in Malaysia, you come into this impasse of, you know, what cinema, is supposed to be in a sense mm. like it doesn't quite fit a lot of things you can say a lot you can say the same about say asian cinema in general but at least the hypermasculine is evident in south asian cinema or even like chinese cinema right you have action heroes yeah. martial arts you have fights and there's a lot of maybe the body build isn't the standard rambo muscular re-masculinized figure but there's still a lot of like durability you know I can get hit a lot of times and I can still sort of like fight you I can fight a dozen people at the same time there's that sense of hardness Mm. that those heroes embody that somehow the Malay context being sandwiched between East Asia and South Asia just hasn't absorbed that you know so I don't know
1: yeah, I, I mean, in terms of you, you're referring to James Dean, for example. Yeah. I mean, uh, because at the same time, right around yeah, the same time, so I feel like uh, that's that. I I just wonder if it's maybe other stars from Hollywood who would be the ones that, um, he he would be a bit more similar to, like such some, as well, some of the singing stars, for example, like Bing Crosby and you know, or, okay, you know, okay, Frank yeah, Sinatra, that kind of that's thing. That's true. That, yeah, the it's more that kind of
0: suaveness i
1: guess yeah uh kind of classy quality that they yeah, but not had. in a
0: sarong though you know what i mean <laughs> like, well, p ramley will put that uh, put uh, that on a sarong you know
1: well he does both though i mean there are yeah, the yeah, films where yeah. he's you know he's at he's sat at a piano and he's wearing a white course, tuxedo course, yeah. and, very and, yeah. casablanca-ish yeah, 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 yeah and then he'll sing the song and uh but then yeah he also would have then he'll go back to the wear the, the sarong right which is, the sarong, yeah. which is uh is <laughs> i <laughs> love about that there's
0: the very seamless change of terrain, right, from the kampong. And there's a moment Mm. in Ibomotoku where he's with his buddies. Oh, yeah. And one of them was making a monkey sound. (laughs) You noticed that? Yeah. And then he goes to the cabaret later on in Penang, right? And I I just find that, uh, just spatially, the spatial language, it it only makes sense if you're quite familiar with, you know, the the visual language more broadly, Mm. right? But otherwise, it's just this weird thing. Like, I can't imagine... Being Crosby, yes, going to <laughs> yeah. like you know hang out with buddies, not yeah. shirtless, yeah, and then one of them is making monkey sounds, and yeah. then he goes to the to the Cotton Club or something. You know, it's just very very interesting in that sense.
1: I mean, I was to to go back to the the film magazines I mentioned before. I, I was looking for this kind of thing when I was looking through those to what because we see in his films that he is both traditional and modern so you, yeah you'll have the scene where he's wearing the tuxedo playing the piano then you'll also have him that like we've been saying in the campbell wearing the uh, more traditional clothing um, I was wondering to what extent we'd see that in the magazines as well, mm-hmm. and, and a, in actual fact, it's it's less in evidence. He is much more towards the kind of modern mm-hmm, e- mm-hmm. end of the extreme. So when you see him at home in those magazines, it is more a kind of Western style, right, homed, right. you know, s- with the, the sofa and the record player and, and these kinds of things. It's a, yeah, a, a little bit different.
0: So what is your argument from all this reviewing and okay. archiving? What what do you feel is compelling to you?
1: Okay, I. I think my main argument is something that i slightly maybe touched on already, but i'll yeah perhaps put it uh, in a bit more detail i suppose if you look if we look at Pierre ramley, we can look at him from a variety of different points of view, so you can think of him as a as a direct a writer director, you can look at him as a as a musician, and you can look at him as a star, so that would be my my personal take on him. Um, if we look at him as a director, we can kind of think about how he is presenting the historical period that he comes from. So there's various arguments have been made about that, about how he represents tradition and modernity. And, and there's often this question about what exactly is his take on this? How does he feel? Because in many respects, he's a, a modern character. Um, but there's um, there's a sense of great tradition in his in his films as well. I suppose what uh, I would argue in terms of looking at him as a star is that the question isn't really so much what is his take on it but more that as a star I suppose what he did was he he provided both of these to the audience. So in many respects he is the the idea of uh, stardom discussed from an, ac- an academic point of view is that what a star will often do is reconcile ideological conflicts so they will represent make two extremes that may seem paradoxical and f- quite different to each other in, in society, they'll make them seem as if they are actually quite compatible. Oh, very interesting. I like and, that. Yeah. And so that would be the idea, I suppose, that from the point of view of stardom, right, he... Right. Yeah, he, he presents um, Malay identity in this very kind of turbulent, changing world. I mean, you remember during the 1950s, we have the emergency. Right, you have right. um, independence in 1957. Mm-hmm. Then there's other things in- Singapore, Malaysia, exactly. division. Exactly. Yeah. So it's during this time of great kind of social upheaval, he is somebody who represents both the ability for kind of change, yeah. um, but also staying the same at, at the same time. And, and yeah, I think that's, that's very interesting. Well would have made him quite, um, yeah, appealing. Yeah.
0: And he's a point of convergence right? in that sense for all those tensions. Right. So Mm. and he plays with either gender tensions, class tensions to kind of show, you know, to kind of show those differences and and kind of make sense of it for the mass audience. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. But we have to wrap up soon. Maybe we can have you again on the show, (laughs) talk (laughs) about this stuff more (laughs) and I can go on all day. But how can our listeners reach you? Are you on Twitter you your Facebook?
1: I am on Facebook um, or I, I can be contacted by email I guess, sure, so sure. I'm not actually on Twitter now <laughs> no problem so yeah. they
0: can google you and yes. they can look up yeah, your right. work details and your email yeah. is going to be there yeah that's right Yeah. any suggestions for reading material because we end with recommendations for people who want to look up uh, the topic a lot more
1: um, okay so I, I suppose uh, there's a number of essays been written on P.Ramney's Timothy Barnard
0: Sedeh uh, Sampai so butta.
1: Yeah, that yeah, right, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Like that's cited everywhere, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, everything <that> <laughs> about P. Ramli would have him. I have <laughs> to cite him, too, but yeah. He, yeah he's that's a, a good essay, though. I like it. I like it. Yeah, so he's based in uh, Singapore. Also, I mean, Hassan Mutalib has written ah, a book yes, on yes. Malaysian cinema. Uh, it's called Malaysian Cinema in a Bottle. There's a chapter on P. Ramli in that. There's... Uh, yeah, you can recommend well. your papers. That's <laughs> fine too, John. Well, I'm working on something at the moment, so yeah, that'll hopefully be. Oh, uh, problem. Yeah. Well, let
0: us know. We can have you back. Okay. Uh, or you can email the show folks at bfmnightschool@gmail.com. Look us up on Facebook, BFM Night school. Type that in the search space, or just yeah, send us a line on our Facebook page, and you know we'll be sure to respond. Thanks so much again, Jonathan. Really appreciate okay, this. Thank you. So and um, we love to have you again. Thanks for listening to. Download our app at the Apple App Store or Google Play. I'm Ahmad Farrahma, and this is Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.